We are continuing in this session just how God measures surrender. And I feel like these concepts have been so revolutionary for me, and I promise everything that we're walking through this morning is just the beginning of so much more. I'm confident God wants to teach all of us in our journey of faith with Him. So I want to consider now this morning the reality that as God measures uh, surrender, give me just a second here and see where we are. You know, I work with these presentations off of a cell phone all the time, and I am uh, never had the chance to work with all the technology Falls Baptist has. This has definitely been uh, education for me, so uh, give me just a chance to catch up with where uh, you, what you all are seeing. God wants your obedience to be, not just your commitment to do. It's interesting to me as we look at the stories of some of the people the Lord Jesus healed in his public ministry, the response he gave to some of those who said, Lord, would you give us the chance to follow you? They had just experienced the biggest miracle of their lives. And I can imagine just the incredible gratitude swelling in their soul as they're thinking, I can't think of a better thing I could possibly do than to follow Jesus for all the rest of my life. There were 12 men that had made the decision at the call of Jesus, but now there were others like the man of Gadara. Remember him? A man no one could control. And as the Lord Jesus delivers him from demonic spirits, he is so moved at God's uh, deliverance of him, the Lord Jesus' power, and setting his soul free that he says, Lord, uh, can I follow you? And Jesus' words are always surprising to me. Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And as I've considered surrender, it's amazing to me how much easier it is for us to surrender to go do something for God than it is for us to go be someone with Him. And I think here the thing Jesus is after in the man of Gadara whose life has just been transformed is bringing him to a place that the best context to prove the reality of his surrender to the Lord Jesus, the best context for him to demonstrate the change to others in his life is the context of home, his own city. And I don't know the rest of his story. We only have these words of his life. But I want to encourage you as God is leading you in your uh, road forward that God is calling you to the obedience to be someone. Not just a commitment to do something. In the course of our lives, you're not always going to be 20. You're not always going to be 25 or whatever you are today. And I've just realized in my own life that God often has many chapters to the book he's writing for you. And the very vision that he's given you today sometimes is often in our minds today framed by a geographic location. Sometimes it's simply limited to a certain specific context. But in the chapters of your life, it's amazing how God can take a vision that he's gifting you with today 
and be able to fulfill that in so many different dimensions that just blow your mind, that you will only discover as you walk a life of faith with Him. And I'm coming to realize God, again, is not half as much as concerned about my surrender primarily to do something for Him. There's something bigger He's after, and that's my commitment to be someone for Him. God wants your trust, not your logic. The story is given there in Acts chapter 8 of Philip, whom God uses in such a powerful way to just see revival sweep across Samaritan towns. It's like Pentecost happening now, not just in Jerusalem, but it's happening in Samaria. It's remarkable what's happening. It's so remarkable that Peter and others come to see and come to affirm all that God is doing in that place. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we find the Spirit of God, the angel of the Lord, coming to Philip and saying, Philip, arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. That's all that is said. Now, you and I know the rest of the story. It's the encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. But all that is given to this man at this point is simply, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to go down this road. And I know if I had been uh, Philip, I would have been feeling like, God, you've got to give me something more so that I can have the confidence that I'm doing the right thing. Leaving what I can see in front of my eyes is just absolutely miraculous. But do you know, as God works in your life, God's calling us to surrenders. That is all about our trust in Him. Not your logic to see how everything is going to make sense. I have been one of those that have always wanted to have a five-year plan. A ten-year plan. Fourteen years old, I could already dream where I wanted to be at 25 years of age. And I've been amazed to see how God is always throwing curveballs in my path. And at times, it seems like it's been incredible setbacks along the way, only to discover that we're landing ahead of where my own path would have taken me. And do you know that's exactly what God's doing in you? That's what God is doing in the men that God is using to mentor your lives here at Baptist College of Ministry. Any pastor here, any man in ministry here can tell you how true this is. God wants to lead you, but God's way often never makes sense. And if, he, if we are too dependent on our logic, we'll miss the opportunities to have power with God and power with men. God wants to showcase his power by punctuating your weakness, not to showcase your strengths by evading your weakness. Every day I get up, I, my phone, again, is just blasted with emails and texts, phone calls of crises all over the nation. And uh, just being able to sometimes have the emotional stamina to take on the responsibilities of a new day demands incredible grace. 
And something that I'm just reminded of every day is just how weak I am. And I can't tell you how often I've felt like, Lord, I just can't do this. Um, and God often uses the experiences and the calling that he has for your life to punctuate the fact that you can't. I used to think that somehow my weaknesses were going to be my biggest disqualification for accomplishing the vision. It was going to be the biggest roadblock. When in fact, God is orchestrating all the circumstances in my life to punctuate the fact that I can't. And do you know as God is working in your life and you right now begin to uh, develop faith for a vision that's bigger than you and you're looking at your skill set and excitement about the era God has called you uh, to have a mission uh, to accomplish something great for Him in, God is going to work forward in your life to punctuate your weakness. He did that for Moses. He did that for the Apostle Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul came to the place of being able to realize uh, a very amazing statement. And that is uh, Jesus coming to him and saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And later he goes on to develop just the fact that in my weakness, then am I strong. That's an incredible surprise I've been discovering in the journey of surrender. Finally, God wants your acceptance of his will today not just your anticipation of his will tomorrow. I already told you at 10 years old, I was already thinking down the path, where am I going to be? I want my life to count for something. I remember working for a ministry that definitely just fueled this idea of having, living for a vision bigger than yourself. And they ended up putting a book together uh, that was titled, Do Something Great. And I remember just with the peers that I had around me at the time, this was in my 20s, I remember thinking to myself, I want to just outmatch all of my peers. And I did definitely feel like God was working in my life. Um, but I remember um, leadership coming to me and saying, you know, we want your story put in this book. Do something great. Now I actually have a copy of that book on my shelf, and I am ashamed to read the paragraph that shows up in that in that book that I personally wrote, anticipating at that time what I felt like God wanted to do. And I realized so much at that time that my focus was what God wants to do tomorrow. And I had taken some things that, yes, God had unmistakably confirmed through his word, but then in my own anticipation of what that certainly must look like, uh, I ended up putting together a picture that God has absolutely shattered and changed. Shattered? Actually, he's sharpened and given direction that's un, um, been unexpected and unbelievable. I just want to say this, that in that process for me, I was always concerned about what's next. Do you ever find yourself today trying to take class Classes, you're thinking, oh, wow, I've got four years here. Then if I stay for seminary, a couple more years, you know, what's happening next? 
Well, I promise you, wherever you are in life, sometimes we can always forever be living in what's next. Because the thing we've surrendered to has everything to do with tomorrow. All the while, you and I are losing today. And I've come to realize that today is absolutely as relevant as tomorrow. Today is just as much a part of the vision as what he has in the future. In fact, I can lose the future because of losing today. And it's incredible to realize that as God is calling you to surrender, he's not calling you to do something great for something tomorrow, as if somehow today doesn't count. As somehow, because I don't have my degree yet, um, I'm not in the place yet to fulfill the vision. Because I'm not married, I'm not in the place to fulfill the vision. Whatever those things are in your life, I'm amazed how many things the enemy throws up to say, well, when this happens next, then it'll be uh, God's fulfillment of his vision in your life. Never underestimate the significance of today's. Tomorrow, the future is made up of many today's. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 27, we find Eleazar who is commissioned by Abraham to go and find a wife for Isaac. And this text has just really jumped off the page for me. I being in the way, the Lord led me. I being in the way today, the Lord led me for the next step. And as you uh, walk through a life of surrender, I want to remind you that the answer to tomorrow is in being in the way today. The answer for tomorrow is in being in the way today. And whatever context God has for you, the answer for tomorrow is in always in being in the way today. Be prepared for God to sharpen your vision by leading you directions you never envisioned. I'm going to step through these quickly. You'll get the notes. Be prepared for God to give you a love for whatever he calls you to do. Be prepared for God to lead you to surrenders that are simply meant to clarify the calling he does have for you. You'll remember Peter there on the rooftop at Simon the Tanner's home. As God manifests himself in a vision, drops a sheet down with all kinds of unclean meats, and tries to use this vision three times to convince a man, Peter, that God is opening the door for Gentiles to receive the Savior. And it's interesting, God does that right on time, just in time for men to show up at the doorstep asking, Peter, can you come with us? Cornelius is asking how to know Christ. But do you know, we find as God brought Peter to one of the biggest surrenders at, to that point in his life again, how that, as God brought him to that surrender, God from that point forward did not, did not commission Peter to the Gentiles. He commissioned Paul to the Gentiles. But Peter was so influential in helping to fan that flame as he's part of the council and encourages the men to say, God is in this. He's working in the Gentiles. And so as God calls you to surrenders, Sometimes he's leading us to surrender simply to clarify for us what he does have for you. 
not necessarily to say this is it forever and the future. And God clarifies all of that in the process of his leadership and providence in our lives. Be prepared for God to open doors for you that immediately seem to have no relevance to the vision he's given to you. I remember as we were just launching Precious Stones Biblical Counseling Ministries, it was necessary for me to work for a steel fabrication shop um, with a Christian friend I've known for 20 years or more. And I can't tell you how discouraged I was, thinking, Lord, I just never thought of life looking like this. I'm grateful for the way you're working, but having my time split was an incredible pressure. Um, trying to do half uh, counseling ministry and half uh, trying to uh, work for this steel fabrication shop. And I just struggled for three years in some measures, kind of up and down, trying to understand, Lord, how are you putting all these pieces together? And just a few months before I left, I walked into my supervisor. I said, you know, you guys have been incredibly gracious and accommodating well beyond measure to accommodate my ministry schedule. But I said, uh, just with my ministry schedule building, I can just anticipate as I come into 2019 that I may not be able to give you ethically all the time that uh, you all really deserve as employers, and I may just need to cut the tie and move on. And I just wanted to be right with them. They had been so gracious and accommodating to me. Only for me to step back, that happened in November, that conversation in January, I walk in one week of work and encounter that accident. I remember thinking to myself and for months uh, after that accident, thinking, Lord, why did it take an accident to just prove the reality of your leadership in my life? And I'm telling you, I don't know if I have all the answers to that, but God continues to give more and more answers to why that was so strategic. Those circumstances were absolutely strategic for the ministry he's called us to. God's working in your life in amazing ways, and he sometimes leads us through doors that immediately seem to have no relevance to where you're going. But in the process of time, you start to realize God never wastes experiences, and he's leading you down paths that are absolutely fulfilling all that he wants you to do. Be prepared to accept every opportunity God opens for you, even if some of those opportunities seem to be, quote, below you. You know, God wants to do some amazing things in all of our lives, but I've come to realize that in order for God to fulfill the vision he's giving to you today and in the next few years, the biggest hindrance is not the absence of the open door. The biggest hindrance is you being in the place to be able to walk through that door with power with God and power with men. Be prepared for the process. Yes, the process that God wants to use in your life to prepare you to be equipped to fulfill the vision he has given. Well, many thoughts could be added to all of these, but I want to turn the corner and consider now another very important subject as we uh, understand how power comes through testing. And I just want to wrap up a few thoughts here uh, before we go to lunch this morning. 
God's called you to something big, something special, something only you can do. But I'm amazed to discover all through the Bible how often a man or woman who had incredible power with God and with men was an individual who encountered incredible suffering, incredible testing that nearly shattered their faith. Crises in all of our lives are impossible circumstances, but like I mentioned on the first day, every crisis is an impossible circumstance for unparalleled influence. However, the enemy is committed uh, to shattering your faith in the midst of those crises, and the very thing the enemy wants to do to shatter your faith is the thing God wants to do to nurture your faith. And as we consider this, I like to consider Job's story as we find there a man who God calls out as the most righteous man of his day, uh, a man who eschewed evil, walked with God. And as we find a man just exemplary in his character and uprightness before God, we find God puts this man through an incredible test. Where on the other side of this test, he says, before I knew you by the hearing of mine ear. How do you know God? Do you know God? Is your knowledge of God based on what you read, black text off white pages, church services? God wants to lead you down a road where you discover God, not just academically, not just devotionally. God wants to lead you down a road where you discover him experientially. And God often uses testing in our lives to bring us to the place where we can be men and women, having power with God, power with men. A faith that moves mountains is a faith that will be tested. A life of power is definitely a life of testing. And, and uh, Peter says this in First uh, uh, Peter chapter 1, how that the trial of our faith is so much more precious than of gold. I like to think of the trial of our faith as any circumstance that will test your confidence and trust in God. It's the doorway to power with God and with men. There's a lot of shattered dreams that... Uh, can happen in individuals' lives. You know, you're sitting in a pew today just anticipating a life before you, and perhaps some of you have definitely encountered circumstances that have really brought you to the place of making you question, can I really trust God? I can remember a time when I was just so committed to doing whatever God wanted me to do, but life has unfolded in ways I didn't quite expect. There's a prayers that I felt like God led me to pray, and there's a ramas that I felt like he led me to claim. But somehow it seems like God has uh, taken me off the rails, has somehow not fulfilled his word. I feel at points like sometimes I've prayed for bread, and I know Jesus said you never get a stone. He always gives good things. But in my personal experience, I feel like I've asked for bread, and yes, I've gotten a stone. I've asked for fish, and somehow I felt like I got a serpent. Now, I know all of us are theology students, right? Jesus says 
always the truth. We can count on his word. And Jesus said, if your earthly father knows how to give good gifts to their children, how much more shall your heavenly father give good things to you? And Jesus uses those rhetorical questions to punctuate the fact that when you ask for bread, you get bread. But in your experience, have you found sometimes just confused by the way God's worked in your life? Sometimes we experience shattered dreams, a trial of our faith, redirected ministry, open doors that become closed doors. Uh, sometimes unexpected health crises or a loss of a loved one, a financial crisis or a courtship and marriage that didn't happen on our timetable like we thought. Or a lot of other things. Wherever you are in life, I promise you, God is orchestrating circumstances in your life the enemy wants to use to shatter your faith. God wants to you to reinforce his commitment to fulfill his vision for you in a way that doesn't just allow you to do service for him, but allows you to have power with him and with men. I just want to... Uh, consider and illustrate uh, this in these ways. Trials are your doorway to power because it's your opportunity to know God so much more intimately. We already talked about Job where he said, Now mine eye sees you. On the other side of trials, my relationship with God is, in, is on a level it's never been. And I promise you that as life, as your life is tested, as your faith is tested, you're going to have an experience of God that is not just head knowledge. It's a life message that can transform another life. And God is working that in every single one of our lives. Trials are your doorway to power because they're God's cleansing agent for usefulness. Now, Judges gives us some random wild stories in the Bible. And one of those happens to be where uh, the men of Benjamin end up uh, giving a haven to homosexuals. And the other 11 tribes get enraged about the situation because of a Levite whose uh, concubine was... Uh, raped and ultimately killed uh, because of the abuse she encountered. And this Levite brings this, uh, uh, this unfortunate issue that has happened on account of the Benjamites to the attention of the 11 tribes. And the 11 tribes say, we can't have this in our land. We need to see God and see if we can't purge this sin out of our land. Well, it was not their goal to take out a tribe. They only wanted to take out the men responsible for the issue. But when the men of Benjamin would not deliver the men over, they were going to provide a safe haven and protect them. The 11 tribes went to God and said, God, would you have us to go? Who should go up first to take out our brother Benjamin? We can't have this in our land. And as they go to pray, God tells them, send Judah up first. Now, there's 11 tribes. We don't know how many armed men are represented there, but the Bible does tell us that Benjamin had some 26,000 men. The Bible says that first day, 11 tribes went out and fought against their brother, and they took on 23,000 losses, while not one casualty stood on the Benjamite side. They come crying to God, Lord, we thought we heard you right, but you somehow worked in a way that's different than we expected. 
God says, go up again. And the second day, they come back with 18,000 casualties. Still zero casualties on the other side of the line. Now they're crawling, coming before God saying, did we not hear you right? What is going on? And as they come before God, says, before God, he says, I'm giving you the victory tomorrow. Now, did God somehow pull the rug out from under them or tease them or promise them something he never intended to deliver? As I see that story, I see how God had to purge the hypocrisy in 11 tribes. That Levite was no virtuous man at all. He had left his, uh, taken on a concubine in addition to his wife. That Levite was actually the one to offer the concubine to those homosexuals to save his own skin. And then turns around and points a, his bony finger there at Benjamin. And it's interesting how God uses that particular story and many others to help us to realize that sometimes God has to make us clean. And he uses trials to do that. There are other uh, less um, dramatic stories that punctuate the same point, but I think it's so helpful to see what Job said in Job 23.10. He knows the way that I take. And when he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God did give those men, those 11 tribes, incredible victory. And there's a lot of other things that part of that story that um, sh certainly stand to be developed. That's not the point of this message. But I just want to encourage you with the fact that as we encounter trials, one of the ways they are the doorway to power in your life is that it is God's cleansing agent to make you usable. Trials are a doorway to power in your life. As we've already mentioned, it's your invitation to experience God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in my weakness, I am strong. Trials are a doorway to power because they're your credentials for investing in other hurting lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, whoever... Who, Comforteth us, that being God, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Sometimes the circumstances God allows in your life are not so much for you as they are to prepare you to help someone else in the same kind of need. And it's amazing how much credibility we have in reaching into other lives when God has walked you down a similar road. I want to just say it's not our experiences that give us power with people half as much as it's this book. Never forget that, okay? It's the Word that gives us influence with people. It's the Word that gives us power with God. But God wants your life to be a walking example of this book. God wants you to be a walking Bible. Not a walking Bible simply academically, but a walking Bible experientially. And as we are, it gives us incredible credentials in investing in the lives of others. Trials are your doorway to power, I'm slowly discovering, because they're your gateway, yes, to double blessing. Gateway to double blessing. Think about this. 
Job encountered a lot of losses. That's all painted for us in Job chapter 1. Lost his finances, lost his uh, ten children, lost his possessions, ended up losing his health, and the friends, quote, friends, he really lost as well um, because they were all out to just uh, run him into the ground and condemn him and accuse him of things that he hadn't done. And uh, as we think about that, it's interesting how God works all of these out in a man's life to bring him on the other side to Job chapter 42, 10, where the Bible says God gave him double, exactly double what he had before. Now, that was given exactly financially. It was he was given all the blessings that he had lost in Job chapter 1, and all of that's developed there in the last chapter but do you, some of us could think, well, that was true for Job. Was that true for anyone else? How about Joseph? He experienced a loss of his mom. Rachel was buried there in Ephrathah. He was betrayed by his brother, sold as a slave, falsely accused and imprisoned. And every time he tried to do right, somehow life kept turning worse for him. And it's amazing, in all of those circumstances, the enemy was standing, I'm convinced, there alongside Joseph to shatter his faith in God. Yes, God had given a vision when he was a 17-year-old young man, but now all of life was taking him in opposite direction. And every time he's trying to have the right response, life actually gets worse, not better. But you and I get to read the rest of the story, and it's incredible how God uses testing in a man's life Yes, to give him double blessing on the other side of prison. Influence with Potiphar. Influence with the prison guard. Influence with Pharaoh. Influence with Egypt. Most importantly, reconciliation with his family. I just want to promise you that whenever God gifts your life with testing, God is preparing you for something so much bigger than yourself. He's preparing you for double blessing. God always compensates losses with double blessing. And those losses will only be forfeited by bitterness. Let's not somehow let the enemy frame our perspective of everything God is, yes, allowing in our lives to actually prepare us for something that's bigger than us. This is so illustrated in other lives like Abraham, Naomi, uh, Daniel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we won't walk through all of those stories, but I, as you walk through the Bible, it's incredible to see how often God compensates losses with double blessing. Anticipate that in your life. Trials are your doorway to power because they're your life message for nurturing faith for the next generation. Psalm 44 is certainly a favorite of mine. Psalmist writes, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work you did in their day. It's interesting as we open the story in Exodus of God leading Israel out of Egypt. God had promised Moses, 
I'm going to deliver them from Egypt. But every time Moses goes before Pharaoh, the door keeps getting slammed shut harder and harder. And what seemed like hope and anticipation, what seemed like um, the fulfillment of an incredible vision of some 400 years, now they could see that God was going to fulfill His promises. Now it seems like God is somehow uh, walking a wall on them. And many of the Israelites are getting just confused and discouraged. They're becoming angry and antagonistic against Moses. It's amazing when the enemy is there on your doorstep to shatter your faith, how much we can start to begin to accuse the lives of others in our lives that God has used to nurture our faith. And it's interesting as we read that story, God offers through those several chapters in Exodus several reasons why he keeps slamming the door shut harder and harder by Pharaoh only to give Israel double blessing when they walk out. And one of those reasons was, Moses, I want you and your people to have a story to tell when your children come and ask you. What was the meaning of all these plagues? What was the meaning of that blood on the doorpost? And several times God says, I'm allowing circumstances because I want to nurture faith for someone well beyond you. And I want to give you stories only you can tell. Stories that can only be told in the context of impossibilities. I just want to remind you and encourage you that as God is commissioning you to a life with power with God, power with men, that He's calling you to a life a life that's committed to seeing God transform closed doors into open doors in such a way that nurtures faith for people well beyond you. And I think as we have that perspective, it helps us to realize that trials are our doorway to power because of the way they nurture faith for another generation. I want to give us this thought. Your life is as rich as the testing God gifts you with. Never forget that. I thought my life was measured in its wealth by how many trials I could avoid. I thought my life was measured in its richness by how sunny the path may glow. But I am coming to discover that our lives are as rich, our lives are as deep as the trials with which God gifts you with. That perspective will make you a man of power with God, power with man. That will make you a woman of power with God, power with men. All of us are wanting to have power with God, power with men, and we can frame it up a lot of different ways, but I promise you in all of our pictures, in all of our scripts, trials will always show up absent if we're the one writing. But God understands a peace that is so critical 
to double blessing in your life. Just like for Elisha. As God gifts him with a mentor unparalleled to any other prophet, none other than Elijah himself, only to no sooner begin this internship and God ushers his mentor to heaven. And in that incredible loss, Elisha said, Lord, would you give me a double portion of that man's power? Would you give me a double portion of that man's spirit? I haven't done all the math, but it is amazing how many miracles God uses Elisha to do recorded there in the Bible compared to those Elijah did. God used Elijah in amazing ways. But then the miracles we read that God touches the life of Elisha to accomplish is absolutely remarkable. What trials is God gifting you with today? Perhaps the message I'm presenting to you this morning is one that today seems to have very little relevance. But never forget it. Because one day, five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, God's going to lovingly orchestrate your path on a mission to double your influence. And it's going to look like shattered faith? No, tested faith. Beyond tested faith, rewarded faith. A faith that moves mountains. How is God using the trials to deepen your relationship with Him? How is God increasing your compassion for others through this trial? How has God compensated loss in your life with double blessing? Sometimes that's a hard question to answer in the moment. Sometimes it's a hard question to answer even a year later. Sometimes it's the kind of question that doesn't only have one answer. I'm discovering in my life how many answers God often gives to this question that unfold over years of time. Joseph couldn't fully see all the double blessing the moment he stepped out of prison into Pharaoh's palace. But over the next seven years, 14 years, 20 years, those blessings just started unfolding. And the answer to this question was more than just one. And I promise God will do the same for you as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, and we're done. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious, precious, precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto God, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ." I have a hard time putting precious and trials in the same sentence. But that's what Peter does. And it's incredible to see a life God used to the Apostle Peter.
to demonstrate that dynamic. I just want to encourage each head to be bowed and eyes closed as we come before our caring Savior. God has commissioned everyone in this room to a life meant to be marked by power with God and power with men. Yesterday we talked so much about being a clean vessel. Today the focus has been being a surrendered vessel. And as we contemplate these thoughts, as your measure of surrender looked different than the way God measures surrender? Is God calling you to an approach to surrender that is so much deeper this morning than any decision you've ever made before? And finally, are you committed to being a person whose life is marked by power with God and power with men? Are you committed to just tell the Lord here this morning, Lord, whatever in my life will bring you the most glory, I'm telling you right up front, you giving me the grace, I will accept it as your greatest gift. Father, whatever trial you gift my life with, I'm trusting you to make it double blessing if you'll give me the grace to walk in humble obedience to Jesus. I hope this morning you would be willing to say, Lord, would you write the script of my life? Would you give me power with you and with men? Father in heaven, I come before you this morning and I thank you so much for the way you call each of us to absolute surrender. And Father, I, help, I pray and hope that we have come to understand deeper dimensions, just the beginning of the kind of surrender you're looking for in our lives. And Father, I pray that the vision you are gifting each one here today as these lives are on a trajectory to power with God and power with men, every man and woman here in this auditorium is going to experience a life where the enemy is out to shatter that faith. And Father, I pray that today you would give us all the courage and the commitment with Jesus to walk in such surrender to you that those testing points become the platform for double blessing. We love you because you care. In Jesus' name, amen.